0: on the biblical friendship, biblical friendship, something that's been on my heart, something that's very dear to me, I've preached on it over the years many a time, uh, it's been a while though, the value of friendship, biblical friendships, uh, what it means to be a, a friend, how many people have friends and how many people are friends, all our arms um, should be raised but what does it mean, what do we bring to the table, what's our friends bring to the table? Let me just tell you this, true friendship is hard work, okay? It has its benefits, it has its rewards that we need. I want you to know something, we're social beings, we we need friendship. God has given us friendship. Of course, the quintessential expression of friendship is Jesus dying for our sins and we're not slaves to the law, we're friends of God now, Jesus is a friend of sinners and we're going to speak about that as the weeks go on, but I want to speak about some of the characteristics of genuine friendship. And our soul's desperate need for it. I can tell you right now, you will be a half a person, you will be a half a human being, you will be a half a Christian if you do not have genuine friendships in your life. And we know that all day, you can count good friends on one hand, and to a certain extent, that is true. Uh, Genuine friendships are rare. And the Bible teaches us a lot on friendship. As I've gotten older, friendship has become so sweet to me, so valuable to me. I value friendships very much. Even secular friendships, people that don't know the Lord, I value them. As I was in the gym this week working with one gentleman we went to grammar school with, and and we were just pouring out our heart to each other. And he doesn't know the Lord yet, but he's a genuine man of integrity and honesty, and we value each other's company very much, and it just brought me to tears of, of how blessed I am to have these kind of deep, abiding friendships, not just over a decade or two, but over four and five decades, you know. And, uh, excuse me. might bring me to tears, but anyway. Friendships bring substance to life makes us feel whole, valued, important, gets us to express certain gifts God has given us in relation to one another. There are positive fruits of friendship. Those positive fruits of friendship, but they're really self-evident, you know, and we're going to go through these as uh, the week goes on, I'll touch upon a couple of these things today. But basically, we can sum it up in two words. Mutual edification. That's true friendship. Friendship should be valued for the, for the cause of mutual edification. We, both parties are bringing something to the table. And both parties are being built up on, being encouraged to live life. And I'm speaking from a Christian point of view too, not just a secular, but to build each other up in the faith. But biblical friendship goes further than that. It goes into a class of its own. Mutual edification is so important. Listen to one scholar. In the Bible, friendship is a mutual activity of honing one for godly use. I'll paraphrase. You'll be no use to God unless there's a friend in your life speaking life into you you'll be no use to God. Friendship, and we're going to see this as the weeks go on, is the honing of one's godly use in the service of Christ. Now, I shouldn't ask for a show of hands on who wants to be used in the service of Christ. That comes with being a Christian. God deposits this, deposits that in us. This is where earthly friendships end. An earthly friendship would have very little effect on honing me in the service of God. Though God has at times time used a donkey in his service to rebuke one of his people, he can certainly use an outsider, a non-believer to rebuke us. He's done that in my life. He's pointed to some failures and blind spots in my life through an unbeliever. And as I got angry at what that man said, I had to close my, and I to close my eyes and say, he's right. And I didn't hear him I heard God. So these things happen. The earthly friendships with non believers is important to us and it's necessary for a rich, full life. They cannot offer the spiritual dynamic of personal holiness being usable for God's service. As I said, sometimes there are exceptions. God can use others outside to speak to us. If we listen to the Holy Spirit, we can hear God's voice in others. I will be speaking on certain dynamics between believers' friendships, their biblical origins, as tonight's text in Proverbs. And if we just turn to Proverbs for a moment, I'm going to read it. Proverbs chapter 27. I'm going to read verses 1 to 6, then 9 and 17. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you, Then not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cool and anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That will be my text for tonight, but if you just go to verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. In verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Man in in the Greek really means friend. It's the same word. A friend sharpens another. I'll be working mostly out of the first six verses today. Many know this verse. They know verse 9, they know verse 17, but few will see within the immediate context which sheds lights on these verses and shows us our desperate need for biblical friendship. Can I tell you today that one of your greatest enemies is not Satan? It is the self-deception that's in every single one of us. We are a self-deceived. We really think sometimes we're better than we really are. We really can't see the shortcomings and blind spots and mistakes and failures. We don't want to own up to certain things. And trust me, that's when God sends you a friend to do his dirty work. It is so important. You're going to see it within the text. You, you, you probably read, we read uh, uh, six verses of scripture. You probably have no idea how they're connected. But trust me, they're all connected. We'll go through it tonight. I'll show you as best I can anyway. But before we move on a warning, warning. all right, this is a cautionary tale we have going on here. That many Christians, unfortunately, I believe, are deficient in genuine biblical friendships. That kind of mutual edification that brings life. It brings that, that dynamic that speaks on behalf of God sometimes. Isolation is friendship's worst enemy. Isolation, forget it. You know, I just love the scriptures that you can be in a crowd of people and be totally isolated because your heart's not open to anybody. And you, get, you got the, I'm here, but stay away. Don't come close. Warning, I bite. It's unfortunate we can have this. Today's lesson will challenge all of us where our heart is. And really, it's it's Jesus speaking to us today through the text. The wounds of a friend or the wounds of the Bible. Can be trusted. The wounds of God's word can be trusted. God uses the words, uses friendships to destroy the unhealthy self reliance and over self confidence we have in ourselves, which is the enemy being used by God in his service to the world. It's the enemy. Unhealthy self-reliance and self-confidence are no usable for the kingdom of God. I'm no usable for the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom. But I'll also give some uh, biblical examples of positive friendships and also something the Bible teaches a lot about, false friendships. False friendships that unfortunately characterize not just the world we live in, But this is where it breaks the pastor's heart, when it begins to manifest in the church. And the only way to clear the church of it is to speak God's word. We have to be careful of this. So get ready for the friendship test. Are you ready? And let us take a good and honest evaluation of where we stand on this important biblical subject of biblical friendship. How friendly are we? Before you even say something, I go on, give yourself a, a, a barometer, maybe 1 to 10, and, and, and say to yourself, where do you stand? I'll do it tomorrow. I'm not going to tell you that I'm, a t- I mean, that I'm somewhere high, but where are you on the scale of 1 to 10? Just keep it to yourself, and then take that test at the end of the sermon, all right? A six, okay. Let's see what that is at the end of the sermon, all right? hopefully it's a 10 or maybe it's worse. okay, but anyway, let's listen this, this is the book of Proverbs it's, it's the genre of wisdom literature found in the Old Testament and it's not just there because it sounds good, there's a clear purpose to the book of Proverbs and it's to reveal and impart wisdom and we know that the beginning of wisdom is what? the fear of God the wisdom is the 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 beginning of the knowledge of the fear of God. A reverent fear for God. So Proverbs we know is there to give me what the most important wisdom is. How does my life honor God? How does my life honor God in all interpersonal relationships? That's what the book of uh, Proverbs is. Alright? And to remove the foolishness. Please hear this. To remove the foolishness that naturally is in us. Because of the fall into sin. The world is plagued by foolishness and self-deception. You're here today. You and I are filled with it when we come to Christ. Here's the wonderful thing. Jesus first accepts you as you are. Amen. You're engrafted into the family of God. Amen. He gives you eternal life. He gives you of the Holy Spirit. And then he changes us from the inside out. That's the painful part. Sanctification is the favor of But God, in his mercy, his infinite wisdom and mercy, gives us good friends to help us along. Jesus says it this way. Before you take the, the speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out. Listen, we're in the business of helping each other out morally and spiritually. But we have to deal with certain things in our own heart first. And we're used for that. Let me give you a hint. We desperately need this in our life, all of us do one more important thing before we go on to our text Proverbs as you read it is uh, sort of like household instructions it was of course read in the temple throughout the year but it was also read in the house where the father would give instruction or the mother most of the time would give instruction and it's usually the formal designation within Proverbs is my son listen to my instruction." But something takes place here in chapter 27. Someone else comes alongside, out of nowhere, to help out in the process. He's called a friend. Or she's called a friend. God brings someone else into our life, not just mom and dad, but a genuine friend who helps along the way. The wounds of a friend, not a mother, not a father, we get plenty of those. But the wounds of a friend a companion that we walk through life with. Those kind of words, no matter how much they hurt, no matter how much it's constructive criticism, you can rest assured, by God's grace, you need to hear what that friend has to say. You need this. I need this. We go nowhere without it. A friend steps into the picture and helps with God's building project of shaping and forming us into a Christ-like image. Let's go to our text. Verses 1 to 6, I'll read them. I'm going to read them once again, then I'll start preaching out of verse 6. But I just want you, you try as I'm reading, how do verses 1 and 6 all go together? If you can see it, wonderful. Then I'll start in verse 6. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and a sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavy and bold. Wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is an open rebuke than a hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I'm going to give you a hint, okay? let's go to verse 1 again and I am going to paraphrase that great Brian Martin Brooklyn paraphraseology right? and then you tell me oh Brian stop boasting about tomorrow, get over yourself for Brian you really don't know what tomorrow brings how about this one Brian stop praising yourself I'm tired of hearing it, you're wearing me down <laughs> How about letting someone else praise you? Uh, 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 receive the praise from someone else. This self-edification is just it's too much. Do you get the picture? Those are the wounds of a friend. You see, what verse 6 is doing is dealing with inner pride and the blind spots and the self-deception. We don't know about ourselves. But your friend is finally tired of hearing it and seeing it and is calling you out on the carpet with it because It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This verse is pretty self-explanatory. Corrective criticism is is a fundamental dynamic to healthy relationships. Constructive criticism is a healthy fundamental dynamic in friendships. This positive trait is contrasted with the negative one. A person might be inclined to listen to the constant and many flatteries of a person assumed to be a friend. I think I forgot who, who wrote that song, uh, uh, Backstairs. Remember that song? What was that, Earth, Wind, and Fire? O.J.'s. Who was that, O.J.'s? Yeah, stab him in the back, you know. Construct. So we see this. A person might be inclined. It's it's so nice to hear flatteries all the time, and how great you are, and how, how wonderful, how pretty, how handsome. Oh, you're great at this, and you're great at that. And you're just floating around on some cloud over there, you know. And then then someone has to bring you down to earth. You see, that kind of a friend doesn't change anything about character a matter of fact, that friend doesn't see the genuine character, and really that friend is no friend at all, because what you really need is some down-to-earth advice. Some down-to-earth, this is what's going on in your life. You're full of yourself, you're full of pride, get over yourself. That's what this person needs to hear. Get over yourself. For once in your life, get over yourself. Sometimes I just feel like telling people that in counseling. Get over yourself, please. There's a whole world out there dying, and you're worried about the bad head. They get over yourself. There's more important things going on in life. I might have to do that with I might be out of a job. <laughs> but that's what's going on here. It's easy to hear sweet things, even from an enemy. But in the end, it proves more of an enemy, they prove more of an enemy of a true friend. Because I haven't done anything to change and transform what I desperately need. More Christ-like character. This is all about being like Christ. This is not good advice you read in Reader's Digest. This is not uh, a self-help, therapy, behavioral modification kind of stuff. This is holiness. This is walking in genuine love. This is loving the unlovable. This is caring for people who hate you. But that's the mandate God gives this Christian church. We need biblical friendships to call ourselves on, on the map and tell us what they see that we don't naturally see. A biblical friend has Christ-like nature in their mind when they're addressing us with their wounds about my self-inflated ego or any other thing that's getting in the way of the kingdom of God. Pastor, you're elegant. You're, you're, you're eloquent with your words, but Pastor... You know, when you're down with the people, you're you're kind of cold and aloof. Many pastors need to rebuke on that. They're great when they come up here, they've got their sermons, and they're all ready. But as soon as they step out here, they they wouldn't give you the time of day. And if you're not sure about that, that's Revelation chapter 2. That's the loveless church in Ephesus. They had all their orthodoxy, all their T's were crossed, all their I's were dotted, but Jesus says, though you got it all together, guess what? I'm rebuking you. You lost your first love. You're a loveless church. You're a church that has the truth, but has no love of it. Where's the expression of love? Oh, you sound great and all the other churches look to you because you're the mega church and you look good and everybody bows down to you and they're buying your books and they're coming to your rallies. But listen, I know something about you. Nobody's told you yet. You're loveless. You're loveless. Wounds from Christ could be trusted. And within the dynamic of friendships, and, and I can talk for me and my wife, because my wife thinks i my friend. She's definitely my best friend. And no one rebukes me better than my wife. No one rebukes me more often than my wife. No one rebukes me more correctly than my wife. I stand, but there's nothing more I can do. If they're getting all huffy and angry, I, I guess, yeah, um, it's easy now because I can text. Uh, sorry, you were right. Then I write again. I would go as far as saying that it's one of the greatest examples that someone genuinely cares for you and they're genuinely a friend when they can put their arm around you and say, listen, you need to exercise. Listen. You need to get on nutrition. Listen. You need to get into the Word of God. Listen. You need to change that attitude. Listen, you need to do this. Listen, you need to love your wife. You need to love your husband. Get over yourself. You know, we need that all the time. All the time. I need to be nurtured on it. All the time. These wounds. Because I know it's coming from a good place. I can trust that wound. I can trust that criticism. I desperately know because I'm a Christian. If I'm hearing that God wants me to hear those very words. My life depends on it. I want you to know. That's the way I hear I've got it. I said, God if there's something just, just bring it to my attention. Get, get my attention. Okay who it is something has to change in me, my personality, blind spots, get it to my attention. You can rest assured within 24 hours, God will get your attention. This is how you know. Listen to verse 5. This is how you know that someone who gives you corrective criticism really loves you. You ready? Listen to verse 5. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Don't keep on telling me you love me and you cherish me and you care for me, but don't tell me what I really need to hear. Stop flattering me. Stop doing this. I, I, you know, that's what this text is saying. You see, they're all going together. These first six verses are really going together here. Better is an open rebuke or a wound of a friend, all right, than this hidden love that never challenges you. I don't want to upset anybody. Understand something. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's talking about people that upset other people. There's no peace without being upset. You've got to bring people to God. And to do that, they've got to get upset that they've sinned against God and they got to get right with God. Amen. But once the peace comes, they're like, praise God, they told me the truth. Same thing with our character builder. Same thing with the blind spots. Let me tell you something. Please hear me. As a pastor, when it comes to dealing with sin in someone's life, It's easy, because I can sit there and open up to the Bible and give you example after example of example of sin. So after that, you're not not fighting me, you're fighting God. You know what the hardest thing to do as a pastor? Bring correction to someone's personality. That's painful. That's really painful. And before you do that, you have to have a darn good relationship with somebody before you start tapping on people's toes and their personalities and their blind spots that could be turn-offish to other people and you recognize something and you know, so I gotta, I gotta tell you something you know, that this bit of turn-off to other people. The character trait of yours isn't really nice. You might think it's nice and it's self preservating you, but understand something, you're turning the whole world off. That's a hard thing, but it needs to be done. That needs to be done and guess whose job it is? <laughs> it's ours it's not my job to run around and say you know something I've observed something about you you know you're kind of mean a friend needs to do that friends do of course I do that to my friends and so on and so forth but that's what biblical friendship is and we desperately need it don't tell me you love me and don't rebuke me when I ne- it's necessary it might seem judgmental at first even angry Dealing with people's personalities, dealing with people with blind spots, very emotional, very defensive. Listen to verse 4. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? You see, you can't tiptoe around some negative traits in our friends. It might seem angry. You might have to go up against a personality. You might have to go up with a very sensitive, defensive personality. A friend, though who generally loves will go eyeball to eyeball against his soul-crushing sin. When there is jealousy within a friend's heart, that ruins. Jealousy ruins relationships. It is a turn-off to people. Listen to what he says here. I'm going to speak about this verse later on. The point is, though, going toe-to-toe against someone's genuine, personal, sinful, defect of character, understand something, is painful warfare. It is surgery at its best. It is surgery that is needed, but it's a surgery that is messy. It's messy, and it's painful, and it's easy to walk away from and give it to someone else to do Verse 1 teaches us something else about true friendships. And what it means to wound us with their words. As I gave you a little hint before, I'll read verse 1 again until Verse 1, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. Verse 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. The personality defect of, per- of a prideful person. Of working out the pride in each and every one of us. Pride is so deceptive. It really is really so deceptive. This self-congratulatory, constant self-affirming, wearing their accomplishments on their sleeve that everybody can suit. Every time you're in a conversation, they're dropping a name, they're dropping an accolade, they're dropping an accomplishment, a success of this or that, and it's just like it's wearisome. That's a high maintenance relationship. That is just like oh, no. talking about the future as though they have genuine control over it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And wait till I'm there and I'm doing this, and it gets worse. You want to get worse? Tell me, Pastor. Tell me even worse. You know how many times I've been told? You ready, Pastor? The Spirit told me. He told you. That girl is going to be my wife. I said, Oh. Someone told me that. I know the girl. There's no way that girl was going to be his wife. She told me already. The only one who didn't know was him. But told me downright something's going on, I can sense it. It's another thing about this person, they're isolationist. They come to church periodically and uh, they, they keep to themselves. There, there's no biblical friendships and so on and so forth, but this is what happens. This is the self-deceptiveness. Now, I could have popped this balloon right there, but I waited. But his balloon was popped when she said, no way. No way. You see, but honestly... If that is within a friendship that's abiding all the time, and they would say something like that, if friend would say, are you serious, are you sure? You, you sure you're telling me the Spirit told you you're going to get married to this girl? That's what it takes. Get over yourself. The Holy Spirit never told you that. You told yourself that. Because you're self-deceived. And you're self-deceived because you're not in good biblical friendships, and you really think you're hearing from God when you are not hearing anything from God. God doesn't say things like that. This person was really out of touch with reality. But the thought, they really were in touch with reality. They're in touch with their own reality. Things that make for mutual edification are foundational to Christian relationships. Let's go to verse 4. Remember that jealousy thing? Remember I told you jealousy is ugly? Jealousy is really, really ugly. Jealousy is an absolute turn-off. When you're walking in the spirit, you're really selling out for Christ. and you understand something? that's that's, That's something you can see a thousand miles away. Many other sins flow from this one jealous spirit, this malady of soul. It has a corrupting element, and this is the thing that's dangerous about it. It has a very genuine corrupting element of contaminating other people. Poison flows from the lips of a jealous person. Go to James chapter 3. Listen to James. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast. There's the boasting thing again. And be false to the truth, the self deceptive thing again. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. I could add that fears God. But this is earthy, unspiritual, demonic, has no reverence to God. Or concern for other people. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That's verse 4. When you go toe-to-toe with that, it gets ugly. But the wisdom from above that fears God, I'm just ad-libbing over there, is first peaceful, gentle, open to reason and rebuke, we could say, Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is not a selfless sacrifice of Christ, this jealous spirit. It's unfitting for a Christian, it's unfitting for a Christian community to allow this to manifest. And you and I are there to lovingly go eyeball to eyeball with each other and to talk to each other and say, Brother, that's a jealous spirit. We've got to be careful of that. Hmm. Understand something. That's not good advice. It's the word of God. I'm making a clear case that this is what uh, Proverbs 27, 1 to 6, this is one of the elements that a friend does. He rebukes the jealousy in another friend. Pastor Brian. Why are you so jealous of the church down the block that's growing overnight? What what made you their God? Brother Brian, it happens to ministers. It can happen to anybody. And we need to be in fellowship with each other. You want someone to call you out on the carpet. You want that. You want someone to bring you and me down to earth. With godly wisdom. We need this kind of friendship. Listen to verse 2. You want to see how bad it is? You want to see how bad verse 4 is? You want to know how bad verse 1 and 2 really are? Listen to verse 3. It's a comparison. A stone is heavy and a sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than them both. You know what he said? As a matter of fact, I'd rather walk around all day long with a 100-pound sack of rocks on me than hang around with a boastful, independent, jealous person with, three, with a provocative nature, always throwing up trouble and causing disorder in every evil thing. Give me 100 give me pounds of sand. Let me march around all day to, to try to negotiate and navigate this high-maintenance relationship. But guess what? When God saves, you ready? He doesn't save us when we're pretty. He doesn't save us when we're sanctified. He doesn't save us when we're holy. He doesn't save us when we're perfect. He saves us when we're at our worst. While we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. And then he takes us all and puts us into the test tube called the church. And in that test tube of the church are other believers who are jealous and who are catty and who are gossips. And he shakes together with the word of God. And he pours it out. And he's hoping to see Christ like this. So, we would like to believe it 's the oh, I wish they were here to hear that per- oh, I wish he she would have heard that sermon today. Oh, I know he needed to hear that sermon they 're strong words. I know that, but understand, these are kingdom friendships that produce christ like qualities god 's not into just getting along let 's just get along and hate each other on the inside like, you know like a big photo op you know we 're all here we 're all happy. You know, but but really underneath, we're full of dead men's bones. That's religion. It all looks good on the outside, but when you get into the heart of the matter, it's wretched and it stinks. God won't allow that. Understand something? If you're looking for a friendship that's an easier, softer way, it's not biblical. Those are the kisses of an enemy. And why are you in a friendship that you don't tell people the truth? Why, why, why do you find it hard to bring correction to somebody's character? I'll save that for another second. It's painful. It's very painful. But as we grow in authority, if we, as we grow in holiness, we take an authority in our life as brothers and sisters, to speak life into each other. Paul says to speak the truth and love to one another. And that is important. I know the great sorrow. Let me, I like the, the, uh, to borrow that phrase, the thrill of victory and See, the agony of defeat is when many times I brought correction to somebody and it was totally unreceived. That is like, that's like, Terry knows that's a sleepless night or two for me. A sleepless night. It's happened to me many times. A sleepless night. But the thrill of victory, there's one gentleman here, who he first got saved and fired up for God and loving the Lord, and he told me something he did on a Friday night that was inappropriate. But he didn't know. And as he's talking, I'm going, uh, gotta have the father-son talk. And he received it with tears in his eyes. That's uplifting to me. See, that solidified our relationship. Are you with me? Yes. That was a solidifying moment in the pastor congregate relationship. Now we're friends. And we've had several hard conversations. But this is kingdom work and this is kingdom friendship. So it produces the righteousness, as James says, a harvest of righteousness. But the other ones, they're nowhere to be found. No part of my own. They couldn't deal with the truth. They couldn't deal with God's truth. There's no easy, soft way. I'm going to close with the word wound. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. Listen to wounds only used three times in the old testament. Basically always means the same thing. I'm going to give you a description out of Isaiah one six. If we can pull that up. The prophet Isaiah is rebuking the nation of Israel in chapter 1. And this is this one verse of scripture where the word wound is found. From the soul, I'll, I'll paraphrase a little bit. From the soul of Israel's foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. But bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed or bound up or softened with oil. The word is always graphic. It's a picture of an open, oozing sore that the flies are on and you can smell the stench of rotten flesh. When you're dealing with jealousy and you're dealing with self-arrogance and pride, it's like an open, manifesting wound. And you got to go eyeball to eyeball with that. It's surgical. Only love can do it. Isaiah loved the people. Isaiah represented a God who loved the people. We should love one another. And sometimes the wounds that opens up something that's really there. God sees it. You see, the other person doesn't see it. A person who doesn't see their jealous nature, but everybody else sees it. God sees what it is. It, it, the word really is graphic and it really does describe just how poisonous some characteristics in us. What we knew I do because we're human and we still got to deal with our own personality and sins, we don't see from God's perspective. But these aren't just like little flaws, little def- defects of character that need just a little change. No, these are open wounds. They're malignant, they can be contagious. They can be toxic. And as the writer of Hebrews says in 13.5, do not let any bitter root grow and defile many. This is a serious word of friendship. And I pray that for many of us, that we have these kind of friendships, that we really put our arm around each other and say, hey, brother, let me tell you something. It's a solidifying moment between relationships. And I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. I truly believe that many Christians have nothing like what a biblical friendship is. We're great with masks. We're great with hands off. We're great with keeping, not disturbing anything, of living under this self-deception year in and year out. Wounds from a friend are truly therapeutic and they're meant for healness, they're meant for wholeness. It deals with the blind spots of personality we don't see or refuse to see in ourself. Yet in the end, it only, this doesn't hurt our earthly relationships and our earthly friendships. Understand something. It hurts our relationship with God. Someone who's walking without the wounds of a friend is not walking right with God. And that's why Jesus told the brother who was going to offer up his sacrifice to God. Before you offer your sacrifice to God in friendship, get right with your brother who has something against you. Don't bring that sacrifice of praise here. You got bitterness, you got jealousy, you got envy, you got covetousness, you got self-righteousness, you got anger issues. You haven't dealt with anything in your heart yet. I've sent you a pastor, I've sent you two pastors, I sent you the Word of God, I sent you three good friends to bring up issues in your life, and you're always running away. Being a friend is hard work, and it's not for the faint-hearted. Amen? Father, help us out on the scale, that barometer, from 1 to 10 where we were. Help us to reach, Father God. Let us be a friend like Christ, God, who's not caught up in the outward person, God, but is really concerned with the inward man. Help us one another in this church, Father God, to always be genuine in our evaluation and assessments. And to share our thoughts with someone in the relationship of love, in the relationship of really and genuinely caring, Father God. We all have blind spots. As a pastor, I have blind spots, Father. Uh, I thank you for my wife. I thank you for Pastor John, my sister-in-law, and other friends that I've walked with for 20 and 30 years that have the absolute right to look at me and say something. I thank you for that, God. I thank you. I cherish the rebukes and the wounds of a friend, Father God. I thank you they have not covered up their love towards me, Father God. But like Nathan the prophet, they came to me and said, I love you, but you're the man. Yeah. Father God, help us in this kind of biblical friendship. Help us to strengthen the church of sonship ministry with this deep abiding friendship, Father God. Remove the superficiality out of us, God. But Father God, let us not try to be a changed man and woman immediately. God, let us really sit on this and to pray about this with the other lessons on biblical friendship by Acts and Christ.